This is Neil Preston, and you are listening to Pantheon Podcasts. Pantheon Podcasts presents from Hollywood, California, The Devil's Music with Pleasant Gaiman. You are invited to join the Hollywood princess as she explores her lifelong pursuits in the occult, sex, love, and that sinful rock and roll. Ladies and gentlemen, step into the dark parlor of Pleasant Gaming as she brings you The Devil's Music. Hi, I'm Pleasant Gaiman, and welcome to The Devil's Music. A Pantheon podcast. As the devil himself apparently once said via the Rolling Stones, please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a rock and roll witch from Hollywood, California. My obsession with music and the occult started at the age of 12 and is still going strong. During the 70s, I was one of the first punks in Los Angeles. I worked at the Whiskey A Go Go and had a Xerox fanzine called Lobotomy which led me to writing a rock and roll gossip column in the LA Weekly, which in turn led me to writing for every major rock publication you could think of. In the 80s through the 90s, I fronted three bands. I'm a best-selling author with eight books out and more on the way. For the past 30 years, I've been a professional dancer who's toured around the globe teaching and performing, and you've probably seen me dancing in a number of music videos, feature films, and documentaries. I'm also an actor with several film credits. Find out more about me at PleasantGaiman.com. I'm really excited to be a part of the Pantheon podcast network of rock and roll shows. Everyone at Pantheon tells spectacular stories about the music we love so much, each one with a different twist. Find them all at PantheonPodcast.com, as well as on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio.com, Pandora, hell, I just had to say that, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what we're doing here, head on over to PantheonPodcast.com and share a show with a friend, or I'll put a spell on you. Kidding. This is Pleasant Gaiman, and you are listening to The Devil's Music. Today, my guest is the wonderful Ian Harvey. He's a comedian, an actor, a writer, and I know him as a severely disturbed individual who makes me laugh all the time. Hi, Ian. 
I have never been introduced that way ever as a severely disturbed, disturbed individual. <laughs> um, I just got done watching the night stalker on Netflix. And I, I that's what, I, when you said severely disturbed, I'm like, Oh my God. I'm like Richard. Richard yeah. <laughs> Wait, but if you if this was old Hollywood, you'll, you'd say like, well, I'm just like, Dick Ramirez. You know how they used to say, like, <laughs> like Tom, Tom, Tom Richard Burton, like, yeah, Dick Burton and, and his wife and I, you know, not referring to Liz Day. Oh my God. Just to like make, make it sound like you know him? Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's so douchey. No, I know. It's completely Hollywood douchey. What was that? Uh, yeah. It's completely like that show Entourage to do something like that. Oh yeah, like I, yeah. I did you watch that show? Not recently. <laughs> no, no, but like you know when it came out ten years ago. Yeah, I think I watched it. I know people might not even know what we're fucking talking about right now. <laughs> <laughs> we're just like to sum it up, we're talking about Hollywood douchebags. <clears throat> Yeah, yeah, Hollywood douchebag fake reality show about real Hollywood douchebag. Yeah, a scripted fake reality show. Yeah, it's so fucking bizarre. But yeah, um, thank you for that beautiful. Thank you for that beautiful introduction. <laughs> You're so. <loud>. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. You know what? I think that. Um, you're you might be the one of the few people on the planet that actually sees me as disturbed and that that's a good thing <laughs> well no i mean you're from okay, you i consider just, it a compliment yeah as as a as a disclaimer to my discerning audience <laughs> i just gotta say that you know you guys all know if you're li if you've listened to the show before you know how quote-unquote disturbing it gets. I only want disturbed people on here because they're exciting to talk to. So yeah, that was that a huge compliment. That, <laughs> well, honored to be here among other disturbed individuals. Um, yes. Yeah. The mental I, asylum of the airwaves, the devil's music. <laughs> <laughs> so about you know, I, about that um, documentary that I was just watching, um, I think you asked me um, what kind of music did I imagine? I think I just left that um, that miniseries and came here to talk with you. And I totally had like, um, what, like whatever that- Like that all the Ramirez would listen to? Yeah, yeah. I just had that on my brain. So, I know, I was wondering if that seemed a little bit out of character for you, but maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> what, when I suggested, like, Dio? Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay, because I've been, the past few nights, I've been on a full-on early kiss binge. Like, and oh, I really? could Yeah, oh, yeah. I, like, I don't know, late at night, turn down the lights in my kitchen, turn on some Christmas lights and some candles, and then just listen to, get the fire house! Woo-hoo, yeah! <laughs> Seriously, I'm like dancing to it, like I was in like, you know, some horrifying like Motley Crue, Kiss, like any kind of death metal wannabe groupie. Yeah, it's been fun. <laughs> I didn't get, I didn't, you know what, I, it was an, I didn't really get into Kiss that much, but, and, and Motley Crue a little bit, but, um, 
I remember the era of like, you know, the eighties for me that like, I would listen to stuff that was like that. I was always like drunk or high. So, or usually the combo of both would really let me into that music. Um, but, but it, but it was one of those things that like, I haven't done it in so long that when I listen to that kind of music, it instantly transports me back to being super out of control, drunk and high and like junior high and high school. Yeah, I know, you know, like speaking of that junior high and high school thing, like as I was binging all this like crazy stuff, I, w- I was getting led down that pathway too. And do did you ever see that movie Heavy Metal Parking Lot? No. Oh my God, you have to look it up. I think it's on YouTube. Anyone that's listening to this, if you haven't seen Heavy Metal Parking Lot, you've got to see it. It's um, it's this little indie film that was made like in the 80s. Like I think it was the early or mid 80s. And it was really like, I don't remember where it was. I'm thinking in my head, Virginia, but I might be wrong. Someone just took a camera and made like a reality show style documentary in the parking lot of uh, some heavy metal concert. I can't even remember who was playing, but like all the hair, all the leopard spandex, all the like- It sounds super familiar. Yeah, it was great, but it's exactly, it's exactly what what we were just talking about. And then I think 10 years, either 10 years or 20 years later, they made a follow-up and found some of the people that they had interviewed. Cause everyone was like, I'm just gonna smoke a J before I go into the concert, you know? And yeah. <laughs> Wait, what was that accent? I don't know. It was like, it was, it was like a Hesher accent. <laughs> <laughs> you can't, you can't see this as we're recording but i actually have on hot pink leopard striped i mean leopard and tiger leopard striped and tiger dotted like spandex high-waisted pants and um yeah (laughs) i'm totally gonna look up that that film you know i've been i've been doing like there's a lot of really good films that are on youtube or on vimeo that like i you know never knew of so i'm gonna totally deep dive that heavy metal parking yeah. lot oh my god it's so good it's so good okay so talking about films and the entertainment industry notice notice my really um easy segue there <laughs> um, <laughs> speaking of uh, speaking of the entertainment industry and showbiz um tell me what you've been working on because um i heard you've been doing some um film writing, film treatment stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, I I was in a bit of a lull with COVID and such, and um, a friend of mine, um, Joey Soloway, formerly known as Jill Soloway, um, who created Transparent on Amazon, um, which, which was a show you were that, on, which you were which on, was, yeah, yeah, which I was on, yeah. And um, they, uh, I, I basically sent out like an email to friends, like saying, "Look, I'm I'm looking for work and looking for writing, looking for handyman stuff. I'll do anything, you know, kind of stuff." And because of all that's happening, you're like, "Okay, what the fuck am I gonna do right now to like m- make this work?" And I'm so grateful because a bunch of people wrote back to me and were like, I have something you can do. And um, 
Soloway sent me out to Palm Springs to do a big research project and to write a film treatment for a Western horror that is based in pioneer times, um, in the early development of Palm Springs. And it was about this woman named Zaddy Bunker, who was legend to have killed this terrible shaman from the Caliente tribe that um, that had been there for thousands of years. They had this bad shaman in their tribe that they um, ousted out of the tribe. And it was said that he went up into the mountains to live. And if you, uh, if you go to Palm Springs, uh, uh, there's still a bunch of old buildings around that all were founded and actually you, you probably already know this about Palm Springs, but the land was separated and between wrong, I think wrongfully separated by grant um, and given half was given to the tribe and half was given to uh, settlers, pioneers. And um, they make it so every other square mile is a is owned by the tribe. And the other property is owned by the public or the town or whatever. But they, um, the people who came to settle there, the pioneers, were largely these women who, some of them had husbands, some of them didn't. They formed like this horsewoman's club and they would ride their horses around and they were gun toting and turn of the century, like, like I would say 19... 09 to like 1917 was like this fairly big surge of pioneers that went there to settle and a lot of them were women like i said but they all had these husbands i'm putting in quotation marks because they all seemed really kind of dykey um and i say they were, that they were roommates <laughs> yeah and they, i mean there were definitely was sisters that were dykes and then there and that came from money and then there were other women who had husbands, but I don't know what, it just didn't seem like from the research that I had done, like that they were super into their <laughs> husbands. They were really sort of into spending time with each other. And, and um, anyway, um, this, but back to this bad shaman, he was doing like basically bad sort of bad medicine. He wanted to be, um, you know, he wanted to be the, the shaman of the tribe, but he was doing bad things. And they were like, no. So they shunned him. He went to live in the mountains and they claimed that he was stealing children. And we don't, I, what I don't know about this is that for sure is like, is this a real story? Is this a story from thousands of years ago that was handed down and feels like it was told recently? Um, but the rumor is, is that Zaddy Bunker, this pioneer from Missouri who went out there and settled with her husband, then divorced, had some kids, whatever, um, went up into the mountain and shot the shaman and killed him. I shot the shaman. <laughs> <laughs> and the next day they, because it was so high up, 
um, the next day they went up to sort of like deal with the body and all that. And there was nothing there, no proof, no nothing, no, but everybody, she was there with some of her horsewomen and some other people in the town who saw it. But the next day they go up and there's no body, no nothing. So that's the the legend. That's the legend of you know what Zaddy Bunker had had done. Um, but when you start digging into it, you realize that you learn and realize that not necessarily like okay, did she actually go up into the mountain or like was there an actual? I mean, so there's all these different things. So, anyways, I, I wrote a, a a treatment about this legend of of Zaddy Bunker um, for Soloway. And I did a ton of research and went to the um, Palm Springs Historical Society and also went to the Tribes Historical Society and they let me into their archives. And I just, I, I wrote like this, you know, 16 page film treatment about, you know, this Western horror from, you know, 1913. And actually later on, and Zaddy Bunker was a real person. And Zaddy Bunker founded the big theater in that in Palm Springs, that's like right on like Palm Canyon Drive. Um, also was the first woman to fly um, an Air Force plane. She had her own pilot's license and would fly all around Palm Springs. And she wow. was the first, first woman to break the sound barrier. Not even, this is so cool. So if you Google Zaddy Bunker, um, Z-A-D-D-I-E, you can like see pictures of her. And um, she's just really a fascinating character. And I, I really think that she back then was, you know, she was kind of, she was like a, a salty butch, dyke mom, divorcee, um, pioneer, pilot, pilot <laughs> uh, businesswoman. And when she died, she had, uh, because she had started all these businesses, she had like a, uh, you would love this because back in the thirties and forties, a lot of like the LA celebrities would go out to Palm Springs because it was just far enough away that they could kind of just all fuck each other and do drugs and get wasted. And she owned like, I want to say it was called Chi Chi's. It was like an old like nightclub where they had burlesque performers and dancers, which is like right up our alley or your alley more specifically. And she owned this like nightclub and like Sinatra used to come and like all of like these really like A-listers of the time came and would um, patron her, her clubs and her restaurants and her businesses. So she died a crazy rich lady. <laughs> So anyway, That's amazing. I know. Yeah. I, I can't believe I never even heard of her. Wow. Yeah. Google That's... her and, um, and, uh, you'll see some really cool pictures. She kind of looks like, um, 
Who's that woman from um, like, is it, is it Bar? She looks a little Barbara Stanwyck adjacent, but maybe a little bit taller and a little bit butcher. That's that. Yeah. She just, I'm sure the whole time she was running that club, she had like a fucking firearm on her too. Yeah, she probably did. Yeah. 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 So I did that. That was exciting, a exciting project to do. Um, I then, also, like, I also am like, so uh, sort of always in development of something. And right now I'm in development <clears throat> with another TV writer um, who he and I wrote a TV pitch about a, about a, uh, a family in Brooklyn um, who's a single mom and has like a young trans son. And uh, so we've just been out pitching that to networks and just like some hopping around, but in the in between stuff that doesn't necessarily make money in that email that I wrote to a bunch of friends, a bunch of people wrote back and was like, yeah, can you do this? Can you paint this? Can you build this? Can you, you know, so I end up doing like all of this like handyman work. <laughs> for hey, my I'm going to have you come over, I'm gonna have you come over here and do some. Absolutely. I'll totally do it. I, you know, I'll tell you, but it's always like really weird projects. Like, um, uh, one of my friends said, Hey, you know, I have this old sword. Can you figure out how to mount it above my fireplace? It's not that weird, but it was like, it was weird for me. It was like, oh, okay, that's a hand, a handyman thing. Okay. I'll do it. Yeah. Um, but right <laughs> now I am, um, I'm building a literal catwalk for our friend margaret i knew um, you were gonna say margaret uh, he he's talking about margaret so a catwalk yeah, so where like in her house i'm building a catwalk from her house window to her back porch so her new kitties that she's getting in February. oh her, her sphinx kitties yes told me about them so i thought um, at first i thought you meant a burlesque catwalk of course <laughs> Because she, she already has a pole in her house. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so I built her a big outdoor cat house so the cats can go out and <laughs> have like have a space outside to like safely play. Yeah. And not be, you know, snatched up by cr other bigger predators. And so she needs a ramp to it that's enclosed that they can go from her house out to it. So that's my next project. That's really fucking exciting. My, pro <laughs> my project yeah. wouldn't be as exciting, but I would I would like wear wear a negligee if you came over and like you know. <laughs> um, Ian Harvey, it's not, it's, it's basically like I, I mean, like I yeah, I'm a total trendy man, and uh, <laughs> you know, so um, yeah, I actually did another project that actually um, I've probably out of all the things that I've done, I feel best about, which is. Someone said a friend of mine's floor is absolutely shattered tile and they have no money. Would you consider if I bought the materials, would you tile their floor for them? And I said, absolutely. So I tiled the entire downstairs floor of this house. Um, it just, it, you know, because my friend said, look, I'll buy the materials, you do the labor. And it was just like one of those feel good projects to, you know, um, do something good for somebody else. So that was a, that was a really fun and feel good project that I just felt like this is, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, you know, in a pandemic. I, I felt like out of all the, it just wasn't about me and just felt really fucking awesome. That's great.
that's that's really good. I mean, I feel like in pandemic we should all be trying to do stuff to I'm saying this in big air quotes, but I mean it to elevate others. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah, to make to make life better for everyone. Okay, so we're gonna have a little musical interlude for two seconds and then we come back and talk more with Ian Harvey. Miami FLA Hitchhiked away across USA Plucked her eyebrows on the way Shaved her legs and then he was a she She says, hey babe Take a walk on the wild side Said, hey honey Take a walk on the wild side Hi Ian <laughs> <laughs> You know, we're just gonna to... do this. Wait, we're gonna do this at the audience for a second, so so they can understand. <laughs> well, okay. I wasn't there for the origination of of that, but I was yeah, happy wait. to get on board. On board. Okay, so uh, Ian and I we met um, both working on Margaret Cho's shows. Sensuous and, uh, woman. Sensuous. Woman and somehow all of us got stuck, stuck talking like this <laughs> for weeks, weeks. Uh, <laughs> well, it became you were telling us a story about you and Selene be, filming in something in the Midwest. Yeah, and and yeah, because everyone you, really talked like that. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and so everybody picked up on it in the dressing room, and it was so addictive. It was just you couldn't everything, everything for four months <laughs> at the super factory <laughs> it, it was, and elsewhere was, was just constantly it was soothing um so <laughs> when i first met when i first met ian i'm telling this to the audience um i didn't even realize he was in the show he was just in the um dressing room one night and you were wearing like a an argyle sweater and um like you know with like a, a you look like a schoolboy. And you were really, <laughs> yeah, yeah, really, really cute, and and like I think somebody else also didn't. Was it at the old Largo? It. Yeah, it was at Largo. It was before yeah. before we um really started doing the whole sensuous woman full blown on out. You know what I mean? It was those yeah. little sort of pre sensuous woman ones. So for anyone that's not listening, the sensuous woman was um a burlesque show that Margaret Cho started. In like 2007, it, we started doing it at El Cid in LA, and then we were doing other iterations of it at Largo, and then it was going to go to New York for um, for Off Broadway run at the Zipper Theater. Yeah. And before that, we were going to be in Chicago, and then we were also at the Gay and Lesbian Center in LA, like sort of wood wood. Shredding the <laughs> show and rehearsing that, and um, by that time I already knew Ian was in the show. But for like a butch trans man, we decided that the opening number had a big fan dance, and um, everybody in the cast except for me that uh, that had already used fans 
you know, was having sort of a, a problem with them. And then, um, but Ian just picked up a pair of fans and like everyone's mouths dropped because he was like, he was like 12 fucking Follies, Bergere, Ziegfeld Follies. And they, so at that, at that point, his name became Jacques Rolin, like the French. <laughs> remember when you were Jacques Rolin? <laughs> I totally remember. I really felt like the moment I picked up those fans, I was channeling somebody else. And that is the beauty of that art is to like, if you allow yourself, you know, the freedom to, you know, tap into something else or something in yourself or from somebody else from beyond. That's what happened when I, I picked up the fans and, you know, kind of moved them around. I was like, Ooh, I like this. Also, I think that I knew that I was with a bunch of people that were these fucking beautiful freaks and that no one would think that me as a butch dyke trans man that hadn't trans like visually transitioned yet like i was fairly self-conscious about things that i would do and if they would be, be present as feminine and stuff like all that sort of bullshit psychological stuff that we go through in our heads but I just felt like super safe with all you beautiful fuckers. And like, I could, I could pick up fans and it wasn't necessarily going to be feminine. It was just going to be fucking beautiful. And we were, I don't know, it just was, there was just this acceptance and, um, you know, I know that this sounds sort of, you know, people over, over say it, but I just wasn't judged, you know, I just wasn't judged by anything whatsoever, no, no matter, no matter what. So picking up those fans was a real sort of, you know, moment of freedom for me, you know, from, from gender, from, it was just about dancing and putting to and remembering these moves that I had to remember, you know, to be part of an ensemble, to work with a bunch of other really awesome people. It was really it was really a remarkable experience and it actually made me obsessed with being part of an ensemble. I really, really loved it. Yeah, I know that was, that was such a, that was, so, Oh, I, wait, also, um, I was I mean, playing. Jacqueline loved it. Yeah. Jacqueline <laughs> loved it. Remember when I got you that times square souvenir keychain and it said yeah. Jacqueline. <laughs> yes. Oh, um, my, uh, well, the other thing that I don't know if it was you or Jacqueline or your inner Richard Ramirez or your inner, uh, inner, <laughs> inner Ramirez, I was doing a Dorothy burlesque act for that whole run of the show. And Ian was wearing a flying monkey costume and he had to come on stage and drag me off at the end. But every time while we were waiting in the wings to go on in the zipper theater, there was like the backstage had all these like wooden pole constructions and stuff just you know holding yeah. up lighting rigs and stuff like that but every damn day we had performances <clears throat> Ian and the flying monkey mask with uh, in the whole flying monkey outfit with the wings and everything would do a filthy pole dance for me right before we <laughs> do you remember that <laughs> yeah. oh it's so funny i for, totally forgot that well and also like i just yeah, knew you were that. a great pole dancer too by the way not just fans <laughs> you had a future in burlesque and you just threw it all away <laughs> oh my god you have such a good memory for that stuff like i totally forgot yeah yeah that whatever that tiny crawl space was had a pole 
And I just thought, I'm going to I'm going to make the most of this time while we wait for our turn to go out. <laughs> it also really helped, like, calm nerves, you know, to, like, yeah, you know, for, for to, both of us, yeah. yeah, to distract, you know, us from what we were about to go out and do. But. Anyway, I'm glad you appreciated that. That's so funny. Oh, I love that. That that was also, a, that was a weird point in time. I'm just going to tell this to the audience and I know you'll remember because this was right when people started having smartphones and we went on stage. This was at the Zipper Theater in New York and Margaret, like we did the fan dance and then Margaret came up for a, a, like her, her, you know, intro set and of course, all of us were like backstage, like watching through slits in the curtains and like, you know, judging the audience and all this stuff. But the second Margaret got on stage there, everyone held their phones up. And remember, none of us had ever seen anything like that before. And now that's like normal. Yeah. But we were like, we yeah. were like, just what the fuck, you know? And then, and then <laughs> no one had had known back then even to write, you know, no cell phones because you know, or, you know, no filming or whatever. Cause they, it, it wasn't really a, a thing until right at that time where it became so fucking popular. I mean, MySpace was the thing back then. Yeah. So I know. if that is any context for, I mean, I think I had a trio uh, phone or a Blackberry. Yeah. I had a flip phone, like one of those like ones. Yeah. Or no, I think I had a Blackberry. I think we all had Blackberries by that time. Yeah, <clears throat> but you know what else I remember that was like um, about about you that um, I thought was like this was right around that time. I think it might have been right after when um, when did you start like really transitioning? Was it before or after the sensuous woman? It was literally days after we flew back to Los Angeles from New York. I okay. remember I. Um, my girlfriend who then who is still my girlfriend now I, I remember saying to her i said i i don't think i can wait any longer as soon as the show ended i said i don't think i can wait any longer and i went to my doctor and like within days i started testosterone and i started my physical transformation um but i i wanted to through that time but i just felt like it's i when am i going to have time to figure this stuff out and i just felt like that what I was working on in New York was paramount at that moment. So the literally the moment it ended, I I flew back and went to my doctor. And so I I saw you uh, like a little like a few months after that, like or, or weeks or months, you know, after we got back home, and um, because I knew you were doing it, you told me. But then I this is like my, one of my favorite memories from that point. Uh, we were sitting at Millie's restaurant, which for anyone listening is. And I hope it's still there, speaking of pandemic. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure it probably is doing takeout. But um, anyhow, it used to be the hottest, coolest <laughs> place in Silver Lake to go. And it had been there for decades. And so awesome, we were sitting, awesome pancakes. Yeah, all awesome breakfast. So we always went there. And actually, you were having pancakes on this day. I remember this, too, because <laughs> we were having yeah. like brunch-ish stuff sitting on the sidewalk and I was asking you how it felt to take testosterone and the waitress had just come around um, to, to pour us coffee. And, and I was like, can you describe what it feels like? I'm just interested. And then you said, yeah, kind of. And you were like thinking about it and you said, okay, you know that girl that just gave us coffee? And I said, do you think I could maybe 
like have a little bit more coffee. Like that's how I would say it before. But now I'd go, hey, I need some more coffee. And then go, nice ass. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. That is like what it was like, um, you know, it taking testosterone took out my inner dialogue or took out a good portion of my inner dialogue of like, you know, I used to, you know, if, if I ordered a salad and the salad came and the salad dressing didn't come with the salad, I'd be like, you know, previously I'd be like, Hey, um, it's probably me. I probably totally forgot to mention it. Um, so sorry to bother you. Um, could I please get some dressing? You know, like that is my previous self. And now I'm like, where's my dressing? (laughs) And I know that that's, I mean, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I just know that I have a tone now that, and, and the inner dialogue and the over explaining, and that's largely who I am. I over explain, but, but I, I definitely feel like that, you know, testosterone sort of took away a lot of the, it just made, made shortcuts, a lot of shortcuts <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> to things that, and hypersexual, hypersexual and a lot of shortcuts that just, that just seems like, you know, um, like I, there's, there's e- even like sexually, there's like, you know, not a lot of like, you know, flirty lead up. It's like, you want to fool around, you know? And I think that I used to be a lot more of a, like a romancer than, um, then I don't know. I just, I, now I just sound, I'm just, I feel like I'm a douche. Like I'm 10% dumber and I'm a bit of a douche and I, I know I'm not at heart, but like, I just, you know, I just feel like some of the, those things about guys that we, that we know or think of stereotypically are actually true. And I think some of them can be attributed to testosterone and, you know, I, listen, I'm not, I'm not putting it up. I'm, I'm totally accountable. I'm accountable for all of it, but it definitely, I definitely feel like there's just, um, yeah, it's just, there's a lot of shortcuts. <laughs> it sounds, sounds ridiculous. But, um, okay. We should, we should take a little break right now and then we're going to come right back and continue this conversation. We don't like to go out shopping. We don't care what's on sale. We just want to sit with a bag full of chips Watching the NFL When you come over at halftime And say does this dress fit too tight We just look you in the eye with a big fat lie And say uh-uh, looks just right Well that's the truth about men Yeah that's the truth about us We like to hunt Okay, here we are back again with Ian Harvey. Um, so one one thing that I remember, um, this was my favorite story because you know how it was always crazy in the airports with our stuff from sensuous women or like just like the yeah. you know like one of the comedians had like um, like fake tits in there that were two like nylons filled with bird seed, and then there was like some insane like like. <laughs> Fred Flintstone costume and like a wig and like just uh, like all this hip hop stuff. And the TSA guy was horrified. And my, my suitcase was always horrifying or, you know, like with, with swords and like all sorts of sparkly underwear and shit like that. But, um, 
that one of the things that you did in Sensualist Woman that was like my favorite um, like comedy set of yours was talking about you getting through the airport when um, uh, the TSA guy found your junk, literally. So can <laughs> we talk about that? <laughs> well, I mean, this is also a time when, you know, we you know, we don't have the con, we didn't have the consciousness about trans people that we do now. And not to say that the amount of consciousness that we have today is, is remarkable in comparison, but it's not remarkable necessarily overall. Um, but you know, I, I, I would be really terrified by traveling and I like to be really efficient in my travels. And I like to carry, I think I brought maybe only a carry on bag to New York. Yeah, I think you did too. Like a roller bag, carry on, and maybe a backpack for, you know, four months or however long we were there. And so, but I remember I brought, you know, my my silicon dick with me and I like <laughs> to keep it in like a velvet, crushed velvet bag with a little, you know, cinch at the top. Like it was like this little, you know, bag of gold. And, uh, and so, um, this happened to me often where I really thought like TSA was trying to fuck with me, you know, and, uh, you know, sort of single me out and embarrass me by, you know, pulling me aside. But what I realized is that if I flipped the narrative in my head, you know, around being embarrassed, like by these guys handling my junk, they should be embarrassed for handling my shit. You know, like you should be embarrassed, not me. You're the one that's fucking holding my dick in your hands over there. So I got pulled over and uh, the guy's like, do you mind if I check your bag, sir? And I'm like, no, 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 have a look, have a look. And I just, I just want to say for anybody out there who, you know, might, you know, feel nervous about this thing, don't get nervous, get proud because people can't fuck with you if you're proud of what you've got. So uh, he's like, do you mind if I check your bag, sir? He said, no, have a look, have a look. So he fishes through my bag. You know, he saw it on the x-ray machine. You know, he did, you know, it's big. It's like, there's no, there's no questioning that shape. It's not like, oh, is that, you know, a, a, lo a load of pizza dough? No, it's not. It's, it's a, it, this is very specific shape. You know exactly what it is. So he's like, pulls out the velvet bag, holds it up and swings it back and forth. Like he's trying to guess what's in it. And he's like, can you tell me what's in the bag, sir? And I said, that's my cock, sir. And <laughs> It's really all you ever have to say to get somebody to immediately stop the bag search. Just be, just be, anyway. So I have to say that that is the, the shortest route to ending uh, any of those um, sort of uncomfortable moments is to just be super proud and upfront. And yeah, anyway. But when you, when you, um, when you, in the whole comedy act though, you're talking about the different sizes of, um, Dildos or faux cocks, and it, it sounds like the three bears. And I just remembered it, it said there's like, like, like normal, like little, normal, big, and then there's doom, doom, like, like the Law and Order theme song. So for, for years, for years after that show, remember, I would just like text you or call you when Law and Order came on in oh some God. hotel room I was in when I was doing totally. Yeah, I get, think of your cock. <laughs> yeah, I get so many messages from people even to this day who like on my fan page will be like, just write gung gung. Yeah, just, write, gung -gung. just just saw Law and Order and thought of you and your dick. 
me out. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> good, yeah, good. I love it. I mean, that's pretty epic, you know, to have somebody, you know, in, in Vienna yeah. <laughs> drop a <those> message, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so that's when you know you wrote a good joke. <clears throat> but. Yeah, totally. That was good. that was just great. Wait. Oh my god! So, um, did you ever see ghosts in that dressing room at the Zipper Theater? That place was super haunted. I did not, but I've heard some stories from you. And um, no, I but I never did. But I'm not surprised whatsoever. Um, do you remember? Do you remember the ghost in the um at the in the in the Renberg Theater at the Gay and Lesbian Center? That the thing that happened to me and you when we were taking pictures of Margaret on stage. Yes. Do you want? Do you want to t tell the audience about it, or should I? Because that was crazy. Your memory of these things is so specific <laughs> that I and I love it. So you tell. Okay. Um. We were just getting ready to do the sensuous woman, like those shows, and we were doing tech checks right before the opening. And um, Margaret was on stage, and Ian and I were in the audience so that we could get a perspective and say there needs to either be more lights, or she had to move last, or they have to light her, you know, in a certain way. And so we were watching, and we were taking photos with our smartphones so that we could. Um, also show them to her and not, you know, so she'd see what we were talking about. And that place had amazing state of the art sound and lights. But so we were taking pictures during it and you look at your phone after like the first pass through of her number and you're like, wow, like look at all these like dots all over my phone. And you started like wiping it off with your shirt and then it wasn't coming off. And you're like, do you think these are orbs? And I looked at it and I was like, yeah, it totally looks like orbs. And then I took pictures and mine got the same thing. And then we, we moved around a little and we were still getting the orbs or what we thought was orbs. And then right there, the theater's director, John, came up to us and was welcoming us to the theater. And um, just for anyone in the audience that doesn't know, orbs are often considered to be like, some people think they're angelic. Some people think that they're um, souls that have departed. You know, there's a lot of concepts about orbs and other people think that it's just like, you know, random dust on your camera lens, but we were both like cleaning it and that theater was new, yeah. it wasn't dusty. Anyway, so Ian and I were comparing with the orbs and right then John, the director of the theater came up and said, how are you liking the theater? And we were like, oh, it's amazing. Like the sound is so good, the lights are so good. And then he said, um, and this was like a 500 seat theater. He said, uh, he just added that every um, seat in the theater was dedicated to someone that had died of AIDS. And then he had to go because he got a phone call. So he ran away. So you and I started looking and there was a plaque on the back of every seat. Yeah. And you know, you were going in one direction and I was going in the other. And then we both kind of stopped and looked at each other. And then you looked up sort of and just turned your head around and said, well, I hope all you guys enjoy the show. <laughs> you know what i remember like i remember like furiously like cleaning i was like no this has got to be weird dust this has got to be you know something from the lighting or whatever but no matter what angle we were at it we there was like hundreds of those orbs in in the in the room it was crazy it was so yeah. crazy yeah that was wild and, I mean, that... you know, and i'm a little bit you know i'm a, like a I would like to say a healthy skeptic, you know, yeah. um, but probably one of the most 
defining moments um, was you came to my house uh, in the valley and we, uh, my girlfriend and I had been living in this house for a while and you came with, is it Crystal? Yeah, Crystal Ravenwolf. So you and Crystal came over and um, did a bunch of different sort of rituals and ways to speak to the people who have passed. Yeah. And to, and you had, and I was being fairly skeptical. And so my girlfriend had been, when I would leave the house or travel for gigs, um, there was some activity in the house that my girlfriend had been telling me about. And I'm like, okay, you know, whatever. Like, it doesn't seem like what that big of a deal, but maybe it's coincidence or whatever. And then when you guys came over and all of the stuff that you did that night made me a, a believer because I, I, there was a moment where you had these rods. Yeah. The divining rods. Basically, um, Cr would they they open for yes and cross for no? That that, that uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so and you um were speaking to the woman who owned this house previously who had passed, and there was something really specific that you asked her, um, and you said something like, "You know that these people won't hurt your house or hurt any of your things." or something to that effect. Yeah. And the rods went and pointed immediately at me. And I had been cleaning out so much of this person's stuff out of the house. And I think they were super concerned about my destroying their stuff, but I wasn't destroying their stuff. I was giving it to their family. But it was one of the, it was like one of those moments of like, it was clearly like of my girlfriend and I, of Sarah and I, I'm the one who was literally dredging out stuff in rooms and pulling it out. And I'm sure she was watching me do this. It wasn't Sarah doing it. But when you asked this question, the rods went right to me. Yeah. Like I was the person who was, and I was like, no, 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 I'm just cleaning up, but cleaning up. I'm just, but um, it was one of these weird moments. It was so specific that I was like, this can't be a fluke. You didn't know anything coming into our house and what you learned and what we learned and experienced together in those hours that we were there doing these seance-like things. I know that's not really what it was, but, but that's- Yeah, sort it was of a, par a paranormal investigation. But yeah, yeah it was like yeah. contacting, yeah, contacting spirits. So I definitely- but, wait, uh, you, What's that? Didn't you, didn't you, didn't the next day, was it the next day after that when you called me when you had some stuff out and her photo was there? Like it was yeah, just so laying? Yeah, so the next day, but I'll tell you the day that we moved in, I told, this was, I told you the story afterwards, but so when we moved in, the day we moved in, there was a bunch of things in the house that we needed to move out into the garage. And we had a garage sale that weekend with the family that owned the house, the family's grandmother was the one who passed. And so they had, we had a yard sale of her things. And when I was sweeping up like Carol Burnett in the driveway of like some dust and some things that were out in the driveway, um, the wind kicked up and um, it was, uh, 
I just want to, it was Labor Day. Um, when I, Labor Day weekend, and it was on that Labor Day that I was cleaning up out in the front of the house in the yard, sweeping, and the wind kicked up and this photo blew in front of me. It was one of those photo strips from a photo booth. And I picked it up and I turned it over and it said Labor Day 1942. Wow, I forgot about that part when it said it because you called me right away and said that, but I, I remember you found the photo, but I didn't remember it said Labor Day. So that it was the nuts. same day. Yeah. You know, 60 years later or whatever it was. But um, it was so, so absolutely fascinating to me that it's freaky, fascinating, cool, exciting. But, um, but I took it at that moment. I was like, oh, I think that she's telling me that she's here. Like, and so I brought it into Sarah and showed her. And then you told Sarah and the spirit that like, you know, when you move around, you scare Sarah. So maybe you could do something else rather than make noise. Maybe you could flicker a light. The day after you were there, Sarah was in our bedroom. She was laying on the bed. I was not there. And the light flickered at Sarah. Not wow. just one, but like two and three and four times. And wow. then, even, even more interesting, a few days later after that, the granddaughter of this woman who had passed came to visit, who's a friend of ours, came to visit. And the light fixture in the kitchen, this granddaughter was standing in the kitchen and the light fixture dropped on into a box of pillows that were sitting on the kitchen table. And what? Was, I, I never told you that? No. So <laughs> oh my God. Granddaughters come, came over to visit, was standing there in the kitchen and the light fixture that was around the light bulb literally shook and fell into a box on the of pillows that was on there. Wow, the, that's crazy. So, yeah. So um, that was like probably maybe within a week of you being there. That's so crazy. So, yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess I would say that I'm I'm definitely a believer now. Like I'm not I I think I used to be like I'm a skeptic of some things still. Like I need a little bit more detail and proof and specificity for things. I can't I can't just take general things and just yeah, go yeah, absolutely. Like I like a little bit more depth to a story and specifics and that those all of those things that you sort of brought me into just like really clicked with me. Like I remember in that moment when those rods turned to me as the person yeah. who was one of her things, I was like, "Holy!" Like the only the only people who knew knew that were me, Sarah, the family, and and the and the grandmother. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it definitely was like this moment. Uh, it was so specific that it was undeniable. You know. So uh, I'm not. I'm no longer like a healthy skeptic anymore i'm more of on the believer side <laughs> i'm a believer <laughs> <laughs> um i hope i see you more and when when quote quote when all this is over <laughs> yeah when is that i don't know 
let's yeah. let, let's I, I think we should make like a we should make a chant that everyone can do along with us um, in the privacy of their own homes for the end of this podcast <laughs> 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 to get everything healthy what is the chant i don't know i didn't think of it like uh, I don't know. Hell no. COVID go. Hell no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Do you you have anything you want to tell anybody in in, um, any of the wondrously wild listeners? Any last, any last words? No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, not really. I would just say, you know what? Um, You are one of, I, I, not about me or uh, uh, anything that I'm doing, but for those who happen upon this podcast, uh, your host is absolute true Hollywood royalty. It's not the A-listers and the fucking Brad Pitts and the fucking Angela, Angelina Jolie's. Like they have not lived the experience that Plez has, that you have, Plez. And I just, I'm always in awe of all your amazing stories and um you're such a great fucking storyteller and what a great thing that you have here to have this podcast and that other people can get to know you some it's really great well i i i mean my favorite part of it is talking to people that have like the best stories too like you and i mean you think Thing you said to me just now is normal in regular life, but it's not. <laughs> um, anyway, if you want to see Ian um, and imagine him after you watched all of, like tra- the episodes of Transparent that he was on, or some of his comedy specials, um, what are you? What are your? What's playing stuff of yours now? You can you can go and watch old episodes of Transparent. You can watch Will and Grace. You can watch. Oh, I forgot you were on Will and Grace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also did like a soapy nighttime drama called Mistresses. I did four episodes of that. And were you in a flying monkey suit on that though? No, I'm just kidding. Oh, I wish. Oh my god! But I did get to get punched out, so I had to do my own stunt in that, okay, which was good. Fun. Um, but. Uh, my comedy special is called May the Best Cock Win, and I think it's currently on Stars right now. Last I last I heard, it kind of makes a, <laughs> makes a rot- it makes its rotation around, and um, you can see what I'm up to and um, my schedule stuff. And on my social media, I'm on Instagram at Ian Harvey H A R V I E, and just ianharvey.com. So you can just check out all that stuff, and you can listen to. Um the theme song of long and love <laughs> long and, harder, and imagine what what a what a long lover Ian is. Okay on that note <laughs> I love you my friend. I love you Ian love you Bye. Bye, everyone in podcast land.
The Devil's Music is written and hosted by Pleasant Gaiman. Produced by Aaron Alden. All sound design by Jerry Danielson of Busy Signal Studios. And of course, is part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Find all of our shows at pantheonpodcasts.com. Our social presence is at Pantheon Podcasts on Facebook and Instagram. Tweet us at Pantheon Pods. All songs can be found wherever you get great music. Please pick up these important and fantastic tracks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.